Welcome to an inspiring message from Pastor John Cameron, lead pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will encourage, inspire, and empower you. How's everybody going today? Are you good? Come on, let me hear you. Let me hear you. Whangarei with that beautiful building out there in your car park. What an amazing story we've heard. Let me hear you. Auckland. Come on, everybody. Let's welcome Auckland. We love you, City of Sales. Hamilton, big welcome to you, the River City. Welcome everybody in Palmerston North, everybody in Whanganui, everybody in Masterton, the home of Pastor Phil Pringle. Welcome to everybody today in Christchurch, in Rolleston, in Dunedin, all of our online family, everybody watching this on Shine TV. Big welcome no matter where you are. Come on, put your hands together. Wow, wow, wow. Man, I'm so excited about this series. I'm hearing so many stories. I literally have never had more people contacting me to say, John, this series is touching my life. I've made this change in my life. I would have had at least 30 or 40 people hit me up on social media this week say, Afterpay is gone. Credit cards got cut up. We're making steps in our finances. I think we should give God some serious praise. Come on. We're changing futures. That's what we're doing. We're setting up lives for a decade of blessing. And man, before we dive into this message, I do just want to say, firstly, falava to everybody in our Samoan family here at Arise. It's Samoan Language Week. Come on, let's put our hands together. We love you, we love you, we love you. Praise God for you. So thankful for all the contribution of vibrancy, life, energy, and certainly the best receivers of the word. Uh, in our church, definitely, definitely. So we love you guys. Talofalava, big blessings. Secondly, I do just want to say that video today was about our expansion offering. We're going to be receiving that one, two, three, in four weeks' time. We're going to be receiving our expansion offering. This is our annual moment when we give legs and progress to this vision that we have here at Arise. I want to encourage you to be in prayer. That video was intentional today because at the end of the day, expansion for us is about reaching more people with the love of Jesus. Beginning and end, that's it. We're here to reach the world for Jesus. All right, this week we're in week three of our series called Chaching. And today I want to talk to you around the theme, the test of money, the test of money. I want to encourage you right now, get your heart right open, get yourself ready, get a notebook, get some paper, get a cell phone. If you're going to use that, make sure you swipe down, put that little airplane, get it to flight mode. You don't need Facebook updates while you're writing down scripture verses, but we're going to have the next 35 minutes is going to change lives. If you believe that, I need a hearty amen. Let's pray, then we're going to go. Father, in the name of Jesus, bless this word. Bless me. May I preach well. May I may not lose my voice for the first time in a millennium. Lord, may I look attracted to people who listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for your amens. I appreciate that. Money is a test. When you get more money, it doesn't change you. It reveals you. It doesn't make you a different person. It just amplifies who you already are. And whenever we think about money and we begin to converse, especially in the church about money, but basically anywhere, you're gonna find that passions come alive. People get fired up whenever you talk about money. Temperatures run hot whenever you introduce money. And we can see this not only in the relationships we have, but in the Bible. The first murder 
in the Bible was over money. The reason why Jesus was betrayed by Judas was an offense over money. The first death in the New Testament church was over deception concerning money. When we talk about money, we get triggered. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Come on, don't look at me like that. You know exactly what I mean. And the reason why we get triggered about money is because money is linked to your heart. In Matthew 6 verse 21, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Wherever you put your money, you're also placing your heart. And what you do with your money is the ultimate revealer of your heart. We said again, I said it on week one, I want to say it again. The God of our age is money. What's worshipped in our culture is materialism and greed. These are the altars with which we come to sacrifice and worship. And whenever we talk about money, we're talking about what is near and dear to the hearts of our generation. And as the worship of money increases, so does the attack on genuine worship of the one true God increase. And right now, we can see this in our culture. You mentioned church, Christianity, money. Church, Christianity, money. That's what the topic is going to be. And the reason why is because we are facing a time in history when the worship of money is being elevated. Christians that are listening to this message, lots of Christians, let me just say to each and every one of you, make sure that in the year 2021, your worship of God is real. We don't need in the church right now religious Christians who come to church but don't have an open heart towards the Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why? Why? Because if the love of God is not seen in a believer's life, if the character of Christ is not changing us into better people, then Christianity appears to the world like a religious club with an exorbitant entry fee. Come on, man. If you are a Christian, make sure that your life is alive and connected to God. Because quickly, if, when people hear that you are a follower of Jesus, they're going to say, are you a Christian? Does that mean you give 10% of your money to the church? And realize that the reason for the question is because the God of our age is money. Money is a hugely emotive topic. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, you can't serve both God and money. It's going to be an either or in your life. But then look at the language he uses. He says you will love one and you will hate the other. You'll be devoted to one and you will despise the other. That is volatile language. Love and hatred, devotion and despising. You will be conflicted in your heart always. When it comes to money, if you don't establish first who you're going to serve. And when it comes to our money, the ultimate test of our heart and where we sit concerning money is always going to be in the returning of our tithe to God. Bringing the first tenth of what He blesses us with back to Him in worship. The reason why our tithe is so powerful is because it connects our heart to our finances. It connects our faith to our wallet. It causes us to worship God in the most fundamental expression of who we are. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. When your worship goes towards God financially, your heart goes towards God as well. It is so powerful because it is just enough 
to dethrone mammon and to place God on the, on the center of our lives. When we worship God with our tithe, it awakens a trust relationship in Him concerning our finances, where we are and where we're going. I love that about God. I love that about my tithe. Because at the end of the day, I can bring it to Him and know that no matter what's going on in my life, He has entered into covenantial promise over my life that He's in charge, He's bigger, He's going to bless, and He's going to restore. Yeah, let's have a praise break. Give God some praise. It's okay to clap when we're talking about money. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10 tells us that we should honor the Lord with our wealth, with the first fruits of all our crops. Then our barns are going to be filled to overflowing and your vats will be filled with new wine. The greatest key to your financial surety is putting God first in your finances. He says, man, put me first in your first fruits, and then this is what I'm going to do. Malachi chapter 3 verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. The only time we have this in scripture, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you don't have room enough to store it. Anybody want to see God do that in your financial life? then the Bible tells us that the first step towards it is we bring a whole tithe into the storehouse. Now, for those who are new, who are like, what's this word tithe? What does that mean? It's an old English word. We literally only use it now in the context of Christianity. And the word simply means tenth. Whenever you see the word tithe in Scripture, you could just as accurately translate the word tenth. Tithing in a biblical sense, is the returning of the first tenth of all our increase to God through the local church. That's what it means to tithe. I'm going to say it again. Tithing is the returning of the first tenth of all our increase to God through the local church. It is a well-established biblical principle. We return the first tenth of our increase to God through the local church as an act of worship and obedience towards Him. And it is literally all through the Bible. The first time we find tithing in Scripture is only four chapters in. We're in the book of Genesis, chapter 4, and the Bible tells us in verses 3 to 5 that two brothers decide to worship God with their resources. The Bible simply says that in the course of time, Cain bought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to God. And Abel also brought an offering, but he bought fat portions of the firstborn of his flock. And the Bible says about these two brothers that the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but upon Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain gets angry. Again, temperatures run hot when we talk about money. And his face was downcast. So let's get, it, let's get this right into it, okay? So the Bible says that Cain, the Bible says he bought an offering to God, but this is how he did it. In the course of time, Cain bought some. So Cain, at some point in his financial increase journey, bought to God something. That's nice, that's good. He wanted to, he wanted to be generous, but the Bible says that there was no favor on it. And then the scripture says in contrast that Abel, his brother, bought fat portions of the firstborn. So Abel gave to God first, and Cain gave to God 
in the course of time. One put God first in their finances. One guy put God eighth, ninth, tenth, seventh, second, third. He did not put God first. Why does this matter? This matters because when it comes to our finances, the first portion is the redemptive portion. The first portion is the redemptive portion. Simply put, the first portion that God gives to us is what belongs to Him, and when we return it, it redeems the rest. The word redemption is a Bible word, and it's, it's really important that we understand it. It literally means to rescue from loss, to buy back something that was destined for destruction. And God says that the redemptive portion is the first portion. It's not the eighth portion. It's not the second portion. It's not the tenth portion or the ninth portion. The first portion in our lives is the redemptive portion. Why is that? Well, like every biblical truth, it all comes back to Jesus. The Bible tells us that Jesus is God's son. Matthew 3, sorry, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his what? Help me with it. He gave his one and only son. Say it again. One and only son. Say it again. One and only son. That whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Okay? God gave his what? His one and only son. Okay, well, let's read out John chapter 1 verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So this is the way it works. God had one son, Jesus, and he gave him up for our sin. He gave him up for our sin. And now we have the honor and privilege of being called sons and daughters of God. So God only had one son, but now he has millions, billions of sons and daughters. Why? Because Jesus is God's tithe. Jesus is God's tithe. Because Jesus, God's son, was given up for us. We, he was the first, and he now redeems the rest. That is the love and the sacrifice of our God. Yeah, come on, let's give God some hearty praise. And now what we do is we return our tithe to God of all our increase and it redeems the rest. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of all your increase. First fruits. It's placing God first in the arena of our finances. Tithing is trusting God with first place and first fruits. It's relying on Him that after we have returned our tithe to Him, that the next portion, He's going to take care of it all. That's why it requires faith of us. God had faith when He gave Jesus because it didn't, He didn't make us become Christians. We could have turned our backs on Him. But because God had faith, He now has many sons and daughters. And God says, now that's the way I work in your finances. You place me first and you tithe first, 
and you trust me that if you give me the first portion, I'm going to give you the other nine. And then my redemption is over the other nine. My blessing is over the other nine. My favor is going to be over the other nine. And watch what I can do with nine portions because it's going to be greater in your life than what I could do with 10. If you believe that, give me a little amen out there. Come on, Hamilton. It's okay to say amen nice and loud. I got you. I got you. Come on, Auckland. Let's go. Okay, tithing next jumps up in Scripture in Genesis chapter 14. So we're, we're 14 chapters in. We've got the second one. The Bible says that Abraham is returning home from battle, and he is met by two kings. I want to take some time on these kings. They're very, very important in Scripture. The Bible says that one king is called the king of Sodom, and the other one is the king of Salem. And these two kings represent two kingdoms, not just in the Old Testament, but throughout history. Sodom is a type of the kingdom of the world, the world that lives in rebellion towards God, exterior to the will of God. I hope we all know that the only way you enter the kingdom of heaven is through active choice to surrender to the will and the purpose of God. And without that, we live in the world. We live in rebellion towards God. The other king is the king of Salem. Now, Salem is later named in Scripture Jerusalem. And the king of Salem is a man by the name of Melchizedek. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 10 tells us that in the New Testament, Jesus is our high priest in the order of Melchizedek. In other words, Jesus is represented by the man standing before Abraham. And the Bible tells us that Abraham has come back and he is bringing with him the spoils of war. He has been, he won. And so he's bringing back the spoils of war. And the Bible says the king of Salem does two things to Abraham. Number one, he brings out bread and wine. That's so powerful. This is actually the first time that we see this in the Bible. So powerful, so rich in type and example. He brings out bread and wine. The next time we see bread and wine clearly outlined in Scripture is in the book of Exodus when there is what's called the table of showbread. And they would place the showbread and the wine upon the table. Now, showbread, it's, a, it's another one of those words we don't use anymore. But it literally means face bread. Or some modern translations translate it the bread of the presence. Because the presence of God speaks of the face of God. In other words, the first thing that he does is he brings out bread and wine. Speaking of the face and the relationship. And we've got to remember that when Jesus was here, he told us to, to have communion, to break bread, to drink the wine, to remember him as often as we can. In other words, bringing out bread and wine is an offer of relationship, of intimacy. And then the second thing that the king of Salem does is he blesses Abraham. Back up. The, Abraham has done nothing yet for the king of Salem. But already the king of Salem has said, I would like a relationship with you and I want to bless you. That is the heart of our God. Before we ever did anything for him, he says, I want you to have a relationship with me and I want to bring blessing over your life. So incredibly powerful. And then the Bible tells us that Abraham in response to the king of Salem, gave to the king of Salem a tenth of everything. Wow. He gave him a tenth of everything. 
His response to the heart of God personified in worship was to give to him a tenth of everything in his life. He tithed his tithe. He said, man, I'm going to do this. Now, later on in scripture, because we've got Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek was a high priest that led us in worship of God. And then in the book of Exodus, we introduced the Levitical priests. I don't have time to unpack that one for you. Come back another day. But they, we, we, we have the Levitical priests, and they remain for the rest of the Old Testament. And then the Bible says that now in the New Testament, it's different. Because Jesus is now our high priest. We no longer have the Levitical high priest. We have Jesus as our high priest. And with that in mind, check out Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 8. The Bible says in the one case, in other words, in the Old Testament, the tenth is collected by people who die. In other words, the Old Testament priests don't live forever. But in the other case, talking about our New Testament relationship with God, the tithe is collected by him who is declared to be living. So in other words, in the Old Testament, we still tithe, but we tithe to a priest who is going to die. But now we tithe to Jesus, and Jesus will never die. Now, this is so powerful in our lives because we find the king of Salem offers relationship and blessing, and then Abraham says, a tenth of all I've got, I bring it to you. Now we look at the king of Sodom, and the king of Sodom offers to Abraham a materialistic, greed-centered deal. This is what he said in verse 21. Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. You can have all the people I just want. Sorry, give me all the people and you can have all the money. The money can stay yours and I just want the people. You can have materialism. You can have all the money because your life will have no impact over people, and people are the only things that are eternal. Let's get two things really clear about God. God does not want you to love money. Number two, God wants your heart ablaze with love for people. God does not want you to love money. And God wants your heart ablaze with love for people. The kingdom of this world worships money and it drives us towards selfishness and greed. The kingdom of God worships Jesus and it draws us towards surrender and generosity. And I love Abraham because Abraham replies to the king of Sodom and he says, I won't have anything that belongs to you. You will never get to say that you made Abraham rich. Abraham passed the test of money. The third time we find tithing in Scripture is still in Genesis. We're in Genesis chapter 28. And the Bible tells us that Abraham has that vision of the angels of God ascending and descending from the throne of God. And Jesus is there at the top. I preached on this in January last year. You remember this? And the Bible says that when Abraham, sorry, when Jacob wakes up from the dream, he's like, how awesome is this place? And then he says two things. Two things happen in Jacob's life. Number one, he says, this place is the house of God. That's the first time in Scripture we find the phrase house of God being mentioned. The church is the house of God. And don't draw me towards my passion center because I'll start talking about how the church needs to be an open heaven where people encounter Jesus and we need the life of God to be moving. We need heaven to be open, but I gotta leave that for another day. 
And the Bible says that the second thing that Jacob did was he began to tithe. Genesis 28 verse 22. The Bible says, of all that you give me, Jacob said to the Lord, I will give you a tenth. His response to an encounter with God was that his eyes became open towards the church and that he began to tithe. So by the time we get to the book of Leviticus and the law that God gave to Moses, sometimes the law gets a lot of bad rap. This, this should not be the case. God gave Israel a book, of, sorry, five books, but in particular, he gave them several books with laws in them that birthed God's nation. This is not something that you should derive. This is something that you should study. Because in this, we see God's heart. And by the way, I don't have time to go into it, but you see in Leviticus, Exodus, Numbers, you see God's heart financially, God's heart for legacy. You see medicine that sent them literally generations ahead of surrounding nations with infectious diseases. And in our COVID world, we should be dialing into Leviticus. Just an absolutely amazing body of truth. And in this, in Leviticus 27 verse 30, God said very clearly, a tithe of everything belongs to the Lord. Whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, it belongs to the Lord. Hear these words, it is holy to God. Holy to God. Belongs to the Lord, holy to God. The tithe belongs to the Lord. The tithe belongs to the Lord and it belongs to God. Now, this word holy is really important, okay? Because when you see the word holy in the Bible, you're like, what the heck does that mean? The word holy in the Bible literally just means part of God. So it is not actually part of me. Something that is holy is part of God. You should actually get excited. Because the Bible says in 1 Peter that he redeemed us and made us into a holy people. I don't belong to my sin. I don't belong to my past. I don't belong to my shame. I don't belong to my yesterdays. I don't belong to the things that I regret. I belong to Jesus. I am holy to the Lord. And so are you. If you believe it, give God a praise like you believe it. What a powerful promise. In whatever God gives you, the Bible says there is a first portion, the first tenth of it doesn't belong to us, it belongs to God. And that first portion, that tenth, belongs to Him and is holy. In other words, it literally is part of Him. So my tithe never belongs to me. It is a God entrustment in what He gives to me. God gives the increase, it all comes from Him. And then He says that first tenth is not yours, it's mine, it belongs to me. And that's why we're so careful around here. That's why we use the language returning our tithe, returning our tithe. We aren't giving our tithe, we are returning it. It's holy, it's part of God. And when I return that which God has given to me that belongs to Him, it redeems the rest and it brings His blessing over my finances to empower my future. Let's never forget God's heart. God offers to us relationship and blessing. And then he calls us to worship him by rightfully returning to him what belongs to him, our tithe. Tithing is about the heart. That's what it's about. 
our heart towards God and his heart towards us. He is a God of blessing and relationship. And when we tithe, we are freeing our hearts to worship him. It's about our heart. It's about our heart. Tithing is about our heart. With that in mind, come over with me to Malachi chapter 3. Because this is what the Bible says in Malachi chapter 3. Now, I've got my nice large print Bible here. Let's go. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6. It simply says, I am the Lord and I don't change. Don't you love that? I just love that. That's probably one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. He never has a bad hair day, never changes his character. He's not inconsistent. I'm trying to get there, but God's already there. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Who he is, is consistent. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's why you're not destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you've scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Here's the next key line. Now return to me, and I will return to you. Okay? So he is saying to Israel, he's saying to his people, he's saying to me, he's saying to you, your heart is away from me. Return to me. You have drifted away from me. Return to me. Come back. If you will return to me, I will return to you. Now, check out this next phrase because it's so important. He said, but you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? They think they are close to God. And God's saying, you aren't. They believe they have a right relationship with God. And God is saying, something is in the way. How can we return to you when we've never gone away? Their faith has become so shallow and hollow that they don't recognize there is no substance there. So then God says these words to try and explain it. Should people cheat God? Other translations say, will someone rob God? You have cheated me of the tithes and the offerings. You have robbed me of the tithes and the offerings. You are under a curse, verse 9 says, for the whole nation has been cheating me. And then God says, okay, if we're going to deal with this thing, if we're going to get your heart right, then bring all the tithes into the storehouse. See, guys, what we've got to understand is that where your treasure is, there your heart is. Because your treasure has not been brought to me, your heart has not been brought to me. I have been so prayerful for this message Honestly, for months, because I truly believe that if we could open up our hearts, and this is the thing, it's God or money. Money is the center of our lives. And if we want to really connect with God, eventually that's going to collide with what we choose to do in the arena of our finances. God says, come back to me, open your heart to me, trust me, worship me, adore me. Would you choose to put your trust and faith in me? He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Let's get this fixed. And then he goes on to say, so that there will be enough food in my house. He's saying, bring your whole tithe into the storehouse. What's the storehouse? Your local church. The place from where you are spiritually fed. And God said, bring all the tithe into the storehouse, into the church, so that there will be food in my house. The practical purpose of the tithe is the funding of the church. That's what it is. Why? Because the church matters. Because church expresses Jesus to the world. God wants the church to be resourced so that the world can be impacted. 
Guys, don't ever forget, we're an eternal fight for a generation. Afterpay is out there advertising like a mad boy, trying to get your money to be parted so that you can keep all the money and give the king of Sodom, the devil, all the people. And God says, bring me the money because we're going to use it to redeem humanity and rescue people. That's what the tithe is for. But then goes on, and God goes on, and this is what he says. Uh, if you do, God said, bring the tithe into soil, so it'll be food enough in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great, you won't have room enough to take it in. You're going to have to get generous. Because you're going to have more than enough for what you could use in this period of time. Try it. Put me to the test. God is saying, when you tithe, what you have is redeemed. When you tithe, you are releasing me to work on your behalf. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven. See if I will not bless you. You're going to find out what it means to live under my blessing. John, are you saying that a a person who tithes will never know financial adversity? Absolutely not. I've tithed my whole Christian life. I've had seasons of excuse me, financial adversity. But let me tell you this, I've never met a person who does tithe who has lived the duration of their life. There's a difference between seasons and covenants. You will live under my blessing. He said, I will rebuke the devourer. He said, you can try it. This is the only invitation God says to like, you know, have have a crack at it. I love it. It's like, try it, exclamation mark. Put me to the test, exclamation mark. It's a vast exception to the general rule of Scripture where we were told, do not test the Lord your God. But God's like, I know, your head is so baffled trying to get around this thing that I'm just like, have a crack, and you will find out it works. He says, then all nations are going to call you blessed. Isn't that powerful? I know what some people think. People out there going like, but yeah, but John, every Scripture you've just thrown out is all Old Testament. This whole, this whole tithing thing's an Old Testament thing, isn't it? That's what it is. No, okay, well, if that's your thought, let's dive over and let's have a look at what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 3, verse 23. Before I read it out, let me just explain something so you got it all clear, got the context clear, okay? When Jesus was on this planet, he lived, theologically speaking, on a knife edge. Because the reason why Jesus came was to bring a new covenant. So that we're no longer under law, but under grace. Because otherwise we'd never make it to heaven, right? So he lived on this planet. And before his death and resurrection, he was in the old covenant. There was never a time when there wasn't a covenant. They were under the old covenant. After his death and resurrection, there's a new covenant. So he lived in the old, but he came to bring the new. He hasn't yet fulfilled the old covenant. But the reason why he's come is to bring the new covenant. And that's why I love Jesus, because when you study his words, you'll realize that he, every word he said, I mean, it's all here in red in your Bible, yet not one thing that he said was no longer relevant after his death and resurrection. Everything Jesus said, he was asked questions, and he's like, keep paying taxes. That's never going to go away. But he never once said, bring an offering. Never once, because the offerings were gone with the shedding of his blood. So the verse that we're about to read, right? Let's get it very clear. If Jesus is telling us in the verse that we're about to read, you should do this until I die, it would be the only time Jesus ever said that in Scripture. 
It would be the only words that left the mouth of Jesus that he expected us to ignore in the year 2021. It would be the only thing Jesus said that he did not expect us to do, okay? I put it to you, Jesus didn't play around, right? He didn't make exceptions. Matthew chapter 3, verse 23. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the law and you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe carefully on even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. I love that, don't you? I'm doing well to keep a herb garden alive. I'm not going to lie to you. But you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Three very, very important theological words from the mouth of our Savior. You should tithe. You should tithe. He made it very, very clear. He said, don't, don't neglect the more weighty matters of justice and mercy and faithfulness. But at the end of the day, let's get it very clear. You should tithe. I became a Christian when I was 18 years old. And for me, it was a radical conversion. If you've heard my story, it was like day and night. I literally turned my life around, gave my life to Jesus. It was a massive moment on May the 12th of my 18th year. The next day, I set up tithing in my life. My parents have been Christians. And so from that day until this, I have tithed the first 10% of all my increase from the age of 18 to the age of no longer 28. <laughs> my automatic payment for tithing goes out each fortnight when my pay hits my account. It's literally like within the hour it goes out. And it is the first AP. I, I know, you're like, how do you know it's the first AP? Well, I just made it first, okay? When I made all the APs, I made this one first. Whenever Jillian and I have sold a house and we've like bought it for this price, sold it for that price and worked out whatever the increase was on that, the first 10% we've always been able to increase, of that increase we've always tithed back to the local church. When my kids get their pocket money, it's all online. We have the same system so many parents in our church do, a dollar a week for each year that you've been alive, right? It's getting expensive, my daughter's 17. I'm ready to cut her off now. <laughs> She's leaving school at the end of this year, and then she's on her own. $34 is way too much. But anyway, we give, them, we give them their money. It hits their bank accounts. And then because until recently, my daughter's now an exception to this, but because until recently, their accounts were actually our accounts, we sit down with them with the banking app, and I'm like, okay, kids, it's pocket money day. Here you go. You've got to give your $3.40 to the Lord. And I have taught them from the time they were young children to tithe. God says in Malachi 3, test me in this and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven. That's why tithing is the great liberator of our hearts. It's a test. It's just enough. It's just enough to dethrone money in our lives and to place God in his rightful place. It's just enough that it requires faith of us. Let's be really clear. We're so blessed, God lets us keep the remaining portion. I mean, he could say, I want it all, but he said, it's, no, no, I'm only after 10, and after that, you're good, but so powerful. But I want you to know there is power in your tithe. And man, as the keyboardist comes and join me in every location, the last thing I want to tell you is that today's portion is the key to your redemption. Today's portion, first portion, is the key to your redemption. Before I preach this, let me just back up for a minute, okay? John, I know people who tithe and their finances are a mess. Let's be very clear. If you only tithe 
and ignore the rest of God's counsel about money, applying God's truth in isolation will never work. And if that's you or you know somebody, get them here next week because we're going to talk about how you can have a plan for your finances to move you forward according to scriptural principle. But let me leave you with this. Today's first portion is the key to your redemption. No matter what season of life you are in right now, no matter what is breaking out, what is going on around you, the tithe God gives to you, if you will return it to Him, that's the key to your breakthrough to your deliverance, to your progress, to your freedom, is the returning of your tithe to God. Man, you know what's crazy about tithing? When you start to look at Scripture, you start to realize that those whom God asked to tithe were often those who were not, excuse me, in abundance in their personal financial world. I mean, in 1 Kings 17, there is a massive famine upon the land of Israel, and the Bible says that Elijah was sent by God to the house of a widow. He needs food, and God didn't send him to a king, a business leader. He sent him to a solo parent, a single parent. And when he gets there, the woman is collecting sticks, and he says, what are you doing? And she says, I'm about to make, I'm gonna make a fire with these sticks. I have a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour. They're gonna be our last loaf of bread. My son and I are gonna eat it, and then we're gonna die. Crazy, right? Need. I mean, no, no welfare even, just death and life. And in verse 13, Elijah says to the woman, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, <laughs> before you and your starving child eat that bread, first make a small loaf of bread for me and bring it to me and bring it to me then make something for yourself and for your son. The audacity. The starving woman is asked to tithe. And the Bible says in verse 15, she went away and she obeyed Elijah. And there was food in every day for Elijah, for the woman, for her family. The flour didn't run dry. The oil never ran out. God never takes you down. God doesn't want to take from you, but God absolutely wants to free you, redeem you, bless you, and He wants His rightful place in our lives. Come on, if you believe in a God of blessing, a God of covenant, and a God of promise, stand to your feet every location and give your God about 10 seconds of praise. Just come on, just praise Him. You're a good God. You are good. You do good. You offer us relationship. You bring us blessing. You redeemed us. You gave Jesus for us. You healed us. You freed us. Oh, you want money out of our hearts. And you want blessing to flow through us. And you've given us the key to unlock the door, to set us free from our bondage, to bring your blessing. And so we bring to you our tithe in obedience to your word. We're gonna sing a song of worship in just a moment. But I, I think there's probably a lot of people getting challenged by this, and I just want to encourage you. Put God first. Test Him. He proves Himself faithful. Keep coming back. Next week, we've got a powerful message about how you can get a plan to move yourself forward. It's going to be so, I'm so fired up about next Sunday. But let me pray. Then we're going to worship. Then we're going to move forward. Father, in the name of Jesus.
I pray for your blessing. I pray for everybody facing financial adversity, and I thank you first and foremost that you intimately care, that you are engaged in our journey, that you're not aloof or removed, but you are personal, caring, and loving. And I declare the blessing of God over your people. I pray for those who are feeling faith rising in their hearts today, feeling like they need to to put you first, but for whom this appears like a massive deal. And I pray, Lord, that like you said about that rich young ruler, it's very hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. I pray that you would help us to get our money off the throne of our hearts and to put you first and foremost there. We love you, we worship you, we adore you, we praise you in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, come on, let's give God some praise. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church and Pastor John Cameron, visit arisechurch.com or connect with us on Instagram at Arise Church and at John Cameron NZ.